So we've been uh, spending probably the past uh, few eight weeks talking about fear, and um, I've given you several reasons uh, why you shouldn't fear. And last week, I kind of gave you some practical uh, help on um, actually how to overcome fear, uh, some things that were in God's word and um, about not fearing. And so this week, I really wanted to spend some time and give you some things to think about in terms of how we as believers should respond and what we should be thinking about in terms, in light of this whole thing with this coronavirus pandemic, and what should we be focusing on, what types of things that we should be thinking about. And I get it, you know, this this whole thing is is charged. It's charged not only... Uh, politically, it's charged emotionally. Um, there's a lot of difference in opinions about things, and hopefully one day we'll be able to get to the point where we can actually have a rational discussion uh, about these types of things without getting blasted about uh, what we believe or what we don't believe. But uh, make no mistake about this, okay? Your mind will either be conformed to the world's thinking with all of its philosophies, and worldly wisdom, or it will be conformed to the word of God. That's it. There is no 50-50, okay? Uh, The Bible tells us to be a double-minded man, is to be unstable in all of our ways. And so either you're going to allow your mind to be conformed to what the world says, or you're going to allow your mind to be conformed to what the word of God says. And as believers in Christ, um, we should be allowing our minds to be conformed to the Word of God, what the Word of God teaches, what the Word of God says. And uh, if we allow our minds to be conformed to the world's thinking, uh, you can bet for sure that your actions will, in turn, uh, be a result of how you are thinking. So if you're thinking just like how the world is thinking, ingesting all of those things that the world is doing, uh, then you yourself will act the same way. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And that's really how, what should be driving our thinking, uh, pulling down those strongholds that exalt itself uh, against Christ. And, and again, you know, I know that there's a lot of opinions about what is what, what is right, what is truth, what is fact, what is fiction, Uh, We've been exposed to overreaching governmental control, conspiracy theories, fear-mongering. And without the word of God, it can be very difficult to make sense of all of it. How is a Christian to respond? What should be driving our thinking? And the world is always going to respond in a certain way. I'm not uh, the least bit surprised the way that the world is reacting because that's the way that the world is. That's how the world acts. But when we apply this to our current situation, we should not respond the way the world responds and think the world thinks. So this morning, my desire is to give you some scriptures that I I hope 
will bring some light and some solid ground to a very dark and unreliable world that we live in. But ultimately, my desire is that you would develop a biblical worldview and think biblically. So let's take a look. I, these are in no necessarily uh, particular order. Not one is better than the other. But these are just some thoughts that I had about this whole thing and just some things to maybe get our thinking in the right way, okay? First of all, number one, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke chapter 13, verses one through five, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, this is a rather strange passage here. Our Lord was speaking, and then he is interrupted here about an event that took place with some Galileans. And evidently, uh, the Galileans were going up to worship, and they're in a place of worship, and they're worshiping, and all of a sudden, Pilate's army comes upon them and literally, evidently, kills them and their blood ends up mixing with the blood of the sacrifices that they were sacrificing. Now, obviously, the question on their hearts and minds was, were these Galileans worse sinners than other Galileans because of the way that they died? I mean, that's a pretty tragic way to die, right? You're in a, a place of worship, and then all of a sudden, here comes an army and kills you? I mean... That's pretty strange, right? And it's a very tragic death and a very strange death. And so Jesus answers the questions by giving him an example, uh, evidently from the Jerusalem times here. And look what he says here, verses three through five. And he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Or these 18... This is a current event that happened. Or these 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Evidently, Jesus here is trying to hit home a point that people die. People die all the time. Death surrounds us. It's everywhere. Okay, And Jesus is saying, look, those Galileans that died, do you think that they were worse? Because guess what? There's some people over here that were working on a tower and it collapsed and they died as well. And he says, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so there's a pandemic of fear with, with many people and they're, they're fearful of dying. And with this virus, there's fear and there's doubts. People have now come to face to face with their frail humanity and their mortality. And there's a real fear of uncertainty. And the uncertainty is, oh, I could die. 
But the reality is, is death is around us all the time. And Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. When all this started, the initial reports were that two million Americans could die. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a high number, right? Two million people could die. That was the initial reports. Hospitals would be overcrowded. There would be a shortage of hospital beds, life-saving equipment we would have a shortage of. We've been dealing with information and misinformation, chaos, confusion, messed up models. And the elephant in the room that no one wants is that no one wants to die. We all want to live forever. Why do you think we hold on to things so much in this world? Because there's something about it. If we can just hold on to it, hey, I'm going to live forever. And Jesus says, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. We want to live forever. At least we think that we're going to live forever in this life. And now when we're faced with a virus that God has not only permitted, but is using for his purposes... Man has come to the grim reality that life is not as certain as he thinks that it really is. You know, 100,000 people die every day, and there's always a pandemic of death going on. James 4.14 says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I remember taking a trip over to the cemetery where my uh, grandmother was buried. And uh, I just decided to kind of walk around a little bit. And I was looking at all the, the gravestones and everything. And I came across a, a gravestone which was erected a large monument. And on this monument had listed everything that this man had evidently accomplished in life. I mean, I mean, we're talking a huge thing, and it was just listed, all these accomplishments that this man had made in life. But you know what? He died. And guess what? The world kept on going with or without him. And so your life is but a vapor. Pierce for a little while, vanishes away. So what do these words of Jesus speak to us about here? Well, everyone is going to die and unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so this really speaks to the real solution to humanity's biggest problem. We're all going to die, and unless we repent, we will perish. And so if you die in your sins, then you will, as Revelation 14.10 says, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath, and they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. That's the reality of it. And so the solution to your death is the gospel. So I appeal to you, whoever you are, uh, even if you've been raised in church, gone to church your whole life, been religious, if you have not repented of your sins and turned to faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, 
There is no hope outside the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ because he took your death, he took your punishment on the cross, he bore the wrath of God for your sin. He died for your sins and was buried and rose again. So I echo the words of Jesus here, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Here's the second thing. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One thing that we need to remember is that all of this is temporary. It's temporary. It's not going to be here forever. We've definitely seen some wacky stuff over the past few weeks, have we not? Sometimes I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. You know, like Rod Serling's going to come out of the side there and he's going to be Picture, if you will, America in panic, you know? We've seen some crazy stuff. And as the headlines turn from one day to the next, we hear more and more over uh, the overreaching government control. There's a lot of political stuff brewing right now. We wonder if anything is ever going to go back to being normal, whatever that really is. I mean, really, what is normal? We ponder and wonder. But as believers, we are called to live with heavenly minds. Are we called to live in a political world or the kingdom? We're called to live in the kingdom. Are we going to be concerned about the political agenda of this world or kingdom matters? Here in America, we are probably going to see more and more of our freedoms lost. But are we more concerned about living for Christ or living in this world? You see, whatever happens in this country or in the world or how things play out, I want you to remember something very important. It's all temporary. And our king is coming and he's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to set it up. And when he arrives and when he does arrive, if you know Christ, you will be a part of that. And so knowing that Christ is returning, we should use every opportunity that we have been given to preach the gospel, to make our lives about the gospel, to extend the gospel to others. So we should have the right type of mindset. Let your mind be set on things that are above where Christ is, not on things here on the earth. Here's another one. Pursue holiness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 8 says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, with everything that's going on, I think we can get into a rut. You know what a rut is, right? It's a grave with both ends knocked out, okay? So sometimes we can get into this rut and we become so focused on everything else that is going on and we forget what we have been called to do and that is called to pursue after holiness. That is called, that we are called to be holy, We need to be pursuing holiness even in the midst of a pandemic. But why must we grow in grace? Why should we make every effort to increase in virtue? Why should every Christian earnestly, faithfully, diligently pursue holiness? Look at some of these reasons that Peter gives here in this epistle. Take a look with me here, just real quick. Second Peter, look what uh, Peter writes here about the reasons why we should pursue these things. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 4. He tells us, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We pursue holiness so that we might become partakers of the divine nature. We also pursue holiness because we make every effort to grow in godliness because God has already set us free from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Look at verse number eight. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We grow in grace so that we will not be ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number nine. We should be pursuing Christ-like character so we will not be blind, having forgotten that we were cleansed from our former sins. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten he was cleansed from his former sins. Look at verse number 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So we work hard at holiness in order to make our calling and election sure. Look at verse number 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we practice these godly qualities so that there will be richly provided for us an entrance into the eternal kingdom. Look at verse number 16. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We pursue holiness, we pursue godliness because Jesus is coming back again in great power. And we know this to be true because of the glory that was revealed to the disciples on the mount. And so we should be continually pursuing holiness. Look at uh, chapter two, verse number three. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. These are false prophets, false teachers. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. We should pursue holiness. We should walk in obedience to Christ because there are those who wander into sensuality and are condemned and will be destroyed. There are false teachers that abound everywhere. And so it's up to you to make sure that you are pursuing after holiness. Allow your mind to be conformed to the word of God. Not what somebody says, not what the opinion of the world is, not what our feelings say, but what the word of God says. Look at verse number four. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, chapter two, verse four, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, Yet by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, be bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. You see, we should be serious about holiness because we believe God knows how to judge the wicked and save the righteous. God's word is so clear here about pursuing after holiness. There's so much more here in 2 Peter and I encourage you to continue reading on. But we should be pursuing holiness even in the midst of a pandemic because we're not called to just stop living. We're called to continue and continue. Here's another one. The end is not yet. The end is not yet. Matthew 24, verses uh, three through 31, Jesus talking to his disciples and the question that they asked uh, says here, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? 
And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? You know, one of the things that has uh, come out of all of this is all the things saying that this is the end of the world and other things. I've even seen videos where uh, someone had taken a video that was used during the H1N1 flu uh, thing that happened, and this was uh, in Oklahoma, and they doctored the video in such a way to make it sound like it was happening today and showing that this man was on the road and he saw a truck full of bracelets that they were gonna put on people and they were gonna do this in Oklahoma and you know, there's a hush over the crowd. They go, oh, oh no, and this video was being propagated as a, as a way of saying that this is what's going on today. Um, perhaps you've heard that Bill Gates is the Antichrist. You know, if you take the, the number 666 and you know, you figure it all out, it, it comes to Bill Gates. You know, I mean, come on, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's going on today, okay? Um, but the end is not yet. Look at Matthew 24 here. Look what Jesus says. We spent some time here going through Matthew 24 and 25. He tells them about when the end will come. He spends several times here going about all this stuff, how it's gonna happen, what is gonna happen. And the end is not coming by the result of the flu. God did not use the flu when he judged the world back in Noah's day. He drowned the entire world, the whole human race, except for eight people in Genesis chapter number six. He didn't do it because of the flu. What did he use? Water. Rest assured, the judgment of God is coming and the whole world is going to be burned up. As Peter explains it, that the elements of this world will melt with a fervent heat. Revelation chapter six through nine, there's a series of judgments that will happen before the return of Jesus Christ. And those things are spoken of here by our Lord here and also in Matthew chapter 24. And one thing that our Lord keeps repeating here in this passage is that you're gonna see all this stuff, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet. The end is not yet. People are dying, but the end is not yet. There's gonna be mass devastation. There's gonna be a worldwide pandemic going on where uh, it talks about that a fourth, a fourth of the entire population is going to die. We're not there with coronavirus, okay? The end is not yet. And so Jesus here is talking to his disciples and they, he describes far more horrifying realities that will come just prior to him establishing his kingdom. Um, we read about giant hailstones that uh, are gonna be coming down from the sky and they're gonna be fire hailstones of fire coming down. Uh, they're gonna be hitting the earth. The water is corrupted, kills most of the fish, pestilence, worldwide food shortages. I mean, these are hugely different than the flu. Are we getting closer? Yeah, we're getting closer. You see, as this world groans for its redemption, things will start moving more and more rapidly. Think of it like this. You ever see a countdown clock? Okay. Time is going to stop. Time is going to run out. And one of these days, it's just going to stop all of a sudden. But it's not yet. 
So what is the event that will signal the end? Well, Matthew 24, Jesus tells us it will be that when you see the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist will set himself up and desire to be worshiped. Now, just a word on that. You read about in Revelation uh, 14 about the, uh, the, the beast and the Antichrist that are gonna be coming. And uh, he says it's gonna be the number 666. Okay. Uh, there's all kinds of things of what that really is. What I believe, I believe it is the fact that you will bow down to the one world government, that you will say, yes, I want you to be my God rather than the Lord Jesus. Are we moving closer to that? Yeah, we are. I think this whole pandemic thing has really blown the dust off of everything that really was already going on. And we're just seeing it more and more. So it'll be there. But the end is not yet. We're getting closer every day, but the end is not yet. Here's another one. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I really love this passage here. Because Paul is, is writing to Timothy, his own son in the faith, and writing to encourage him about last days. The things he talks about are the markings of what the last days will look like. Now the truth is we've been living in last days ever since Christ returned back to the Father. And look at what he says here. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now, as we go through this passage, it, it seems rather bleak, doesn't it? I mean, you got uh, times of difficulty, people who are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. I mean, that, that's pretty terrible, isn't it? And as we look at these circumstances and these situations that, that Paul makes mention of here, it seems like, boy, this is, this is a terrible time. These are the last days, right? But notice how Paul encourages Timothy. He encourages this and, and, uh, and continues uh, here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look with me in uh, verse number 10. Look what he says here. You, however, Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and yet at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's saying, boy, this is a terrible time to be living in last days. 
He says, you, even you, Timothy, you, you followed me. You've seen all the, the persecutions that I've endured. And I want to encourage you, Timothy, that if you're going to live after Christ Jesus and you're going to live a godly life and you're going to follow the word and you're going to follow Christ, you will suffer persecution. Make no mistake about it, Timothy. Evil men are going to wax worse and worse. People are going to be deceived and being deceived. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse. Things aren't going to get better and better and better. They're going to get worse and worse and worse. Well, that's some great encouragement, isn't it? But notice how, notice how Paul really does encourage Timothy. And I love this. He tells him here, here's the encouragement, verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from a child, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So he says, yes, Timothy, things are going to get bad, but you know what you should be doing? You should continue in what you know you should be doing. Continue in the word of God. Continue, allow the word of God to conform your thinking. Allow the word of God to change you because everything else is going to get worse, but you continue in that. Don't underestimate the power of the word of God. Here's one more. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this passage comes right on the heels of uh, Hebrews chapter number 11. Uh, which uh, gives us the details of those who live their life through faith. And you can read about all of it. And it talks about by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. They did all these things. And then the author here, he says, therefore, because of all that, because of all these people that have lived their life by faith, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. And so... The author here calls for us, all of us, to run with endurance the race of life. And it's not a sprint, it's not a relay, it's not a walk through the park, but it's a long distance race that it calls for endurance. Anybody in here like to run? All right, just leave now. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a race, endurance. You have to have endurance and stamina to make it all the way through, okay? And so since it's a race, we should be willing to strip our lives of any weight and any sin that would hinder us from running more effectively. My grandfather told me a story one time when he was uh, in Italy. He was uh, in the Second World War, served as infantry, and uh, as he was walking up, he said, I marched, we marched all the way up the boot of Italy. And he says, as we were walking there 
through Italy, he said he happened to come upon a nice leather bag. And he saw it, he said, man, that's a nice bag. I mean, you gotta figure it, things have been bombed, things have torn apart, there's stuff everywhere. And he comes across this nice leather bag and he picks it up. And as he's walking, he's starting to look at all the stuff that he's carrying. He's got his gun, he's got his pack, he's got all this weight that he has, and now he has this bag, an extra piece of something that he really doesn't need. So what does he do? This is stupid. Throws it away. Next thing you know, some other guy down the line picks it up. And you think about this. If we're going to run with endurance, we can't be encumbered with all kinds of things in this life. And look what he says here. We should be stripping. He says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. What things are so closely in your life? Sin or any weight. We should be willing to strip those away so that way we can run with endurance. You say, what does this have to do with responding to coronavirus? Well, you can't stop living. In particular, you cannot stop running the race that God has called you to run. You have to finish your course. Perhaps this virus has exposed some weight, some sin in your life. Perhaps it could be your lack of trust in God. Maybe it has exposed some deep-rooted heart attitude or sinful bents. What are we called to do? We are called to lay them aside. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And so God calls us to watch our lives and hearts closely for anything that might keep us from finishing the race the way that we are supposed to. You see, as we run, we need to keep our eyes on the prize. And what is the prize? It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Look what he says here. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so I must admit that since this panic, it has really clouded the way that I've thought about things. Things have kind of gotten blurry. What should I do? Get my eyes back on the prize and continue to run. Because he is the founder and the perfecter. The King James reads, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Christ started it and he will be the one who will finish it. And so it is Christ who is working in you as you yield to the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus Christ is the prize that we're running to. Now let me ask you a question. What is more important to you than Jesus Christ? Jesus said it very clearly. He said, if anyone loves their family, loves father, mother, children, 
If you love even your own life more than me, he says, you cannot be my disciple. What are we clinging to? What do we have such a hold on that doesn't allow us to run the race with endurance? We got to keep that in focus. We got to remember some of those things.